0: Today we would like to thank our accounts receivables management company to know, LJ Ross Associates. LJ Ross is an industry leader in accounts receivables management. We offer over 28 years of experience in healthcare collection services to effectively and efficiently recover funds for our clients. We are known for protecting our clients' reputation while providing a patient-centered delicate approach. Technology investments enable us to provide high quality services which produce results at competitive rates. We pride ourselves on developing efficient and maintaining long standing relationships with our clients who are treated like family. Again, we want to thank our accounts receivables management company to know, LJ Ross. Hello and welcome to the Becker's Health IT and Revenue Cycle Virtual Forum. I'm Ayla Ellison, Editor-in-Chief of Becker's Hospital Review, and I'm pleased to be your moderator for today's discussion on Reimagining Hospital RCM, Big Ideas for a Sustainable Future. I'm joined today by two experts to discuss this important topic. Before we dive into our conversation today, I'd like to start by taking a few minutes to have each of our panelists introduce themselves and tell us a little bit more about their organizations. John, can I begin with you today?
1: Absolutely. Thank you, Ayla. I'm excited to join you today. Uh, My name is John Wright, and I am the Associate Vice President in Patient Financial Services for Revenue Improvement at Wake Forest Baptist Health. Um, Wake Forest Baptist Health uh, is um, in in Winston-Southern, North Carolina, uh, as well as uh, regional hospitals around uh, the Piedmont Triad and uh we here have about uh 1500 beds total and about three billion dollars a year in um in revenue i've been here at wake forest baptist health uh for six years in the revenue cycle um and actually this is my sixth indus- fifth industry that i've been in um so i've been i'm fairly new to revenue cycle uh in the sense that uh i've been in multiple industries but Here, because there's been a lot of change in revenue cycle, and that's actually why I came in out of other industries, implementing new changes uh, uh, and getting um, those changes integrated seamlessly into operations. The revenue cycle has certainly seen a significant amount of change in the last 10 years.
0: Thank you so much. So bringing your experience from other industries to this. And Steve, um, I'll turn the floor over to you now.
2: Great, thank you, Ayla. Um, My name is Steve Sharman. I'm the the, uh, Vice President of Revenue Cycle for Common Spirit Health. Common Spirit Health is um, the the product of a recent uh, merger between Catholic Health Initiatives and Dignity Health. And so we have over 140 hospitals across the country and I think 21 states at at, at last count, I think is is where we we are. And we have thousands of physician uh, partners as well in our, in our system. Um, we, we, just as a, a bit of a um, um, insight into our revenue cycle, both uh, Dignity Health and, and CHI Catholic Health Initiatives um, have engaged with revenue cycle partners to help us with the revenue cycle, both from a, um, a subject matter expert and their people, um, their people aspect, but also in their technology. And so we, uh, we have been moving forward uh, for two years now as Common Spirit Health, um, uh, I guess maintaining the, the uh, footprint that we have while at the same time trying to come together as a, as a, as a uh, not-for-profit Catholic health system.
0: Thank you so much, Steve. And you mentioned that Common Spirit is a relatively new organization that was formed through a merger. And my first question is actually, um, what is the most uh, drastic change you've made to revenue cycle management in the past two years? Which that sort of lines up with the timing of the Common Spirit merger as well. Um, so can you touch on that a little bit? Um, just some of the biggest changes you've seen in cycle in the last few years?
2: Yeah, so, so some of the, I mean, from a, from a change, Perspective and what we've seen in revenue cycle at Common Spirit, it, from I guess from outside forces, we've seen an increased number of, of denials, mostly in the um, in the clinical space, authorization, um, medical necessity, those kind of denials have really kept us on our toes, trying to t- trying to stay ahead of those, and I, I guess staying ahead of those is probably a, a misnomer because. Um, oftentimes you, you don't know about them until they've happened, but um, we've had a, a, a big issue, or I guess a big initiative on trying to um, work on the status um, inpatient outpatient statuses for a lot of our um, payers. We've had some collaboration work with some of the large payers to to make sure that we're aligned and on the same page. Uh, those have resulted with, those have mixed results, unfortunately. Um, But I would say from an outside forces perspective, Ayla, it's been denials. Um, Internally, we've had a number of initiatives. I would say just maybe to highlight um, some of the the initiatives we've had in the middle revenue cycle space with CDI, um, CDI improvement um, and and trying to um, ensure that our documentation captures the essence of the the encounter um, so that we're able to code it appropriately. Uh, that probably is one of our biggest um, value, you know, what, what, what we call value capture initiatives that has um, proven to be very successful. On the back end of the revenue cycle, uh, a lot of self-pay initiatives. Of course, the COVID pandemic has, has uh, thrown a monkey wrench into some of, uh, some of those initiatives, um, but we still continue to try to refine that process and that, that experience that our patients have so that there is um, some clarity around uh, around their episode of care.
0: Thank you so much, Steve. And John, I'd love to hear from you on this question as well. Just some of the more um, recent sort of drastic changes with revenue cycle management that you've observed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree with uh, the observation that Steve has made. Um, We've experienced many of those as well. Looking at it from uh, an external uh, forces perspective as Steve did, um, the and um, piggybacking on some of the comments that you, that you made around uh, uh, consumerism, had, that has has taken a different uh, or has slightly different approach with the government mandates within the last two years of uh, of price transparency. And w- we actually, as an organization, now looking at it from internal a way to respond to that is we've actually over the past really five years have really tried to get a good patient estimator tool in place, and then how to seamlessly integrate it into the patient experience. Um, that, that has been one of our strategies, and, and, and we've tried multiple times to do it, and now we have a good solution where we're using EPIC's estimator tool, and it's, it's giving us good, accurate results, as much as you can expect from an estimate. Um, but then the bigger question isn't just the technical tool. It's how to integrate it into that patient experience. And um, so because of that work, what what we've been able to do is put our estimator tools out there so patients can go and generate their own uh, their own estimate prior to service, um, as well uh, putting scripting in place for, for our access center, uh, for our financial counseling, our financial clearance teams, so that they're able to have that conversation. So that, that, that's been a big change for us because historically, you know more than 10 years ago, Patients didn't care until that back end, as Steve said, that back end billing about you know when it went to patient statement. But now they want to know what it is. Um, so that's been one one step. Uh, the the other one is uh, managing the the changes uh, in pay, payer requirements. Um, it, it's not just uh, managing, but often reacting to. You know, policies change so frequently that we're having to try and stay ahead of it. Um, And that is not only on uh, the authorizations, which is a large part, but is a medical necessity. Um, And the appeals, we're even starting to see Medicare require authorizations in some cases, which was unheard of previously. Um, So managing that proactively, and here in North Carolina as well, we've been a little late to the game on Medicaid expansion, but we're starting, that's gonna be happening here soon. So uh, for us at Wake Forest, that, Steve, I'm not sure if uh, if if, uh, if you've already had to deal with Medicaid expansion, but for us, that's something that now we're having to dip our toes into.
2: Yeah, we we have um, m- many of our states have have um, um, have instituted Medicaid expansion even back with the, the the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, and so yeah, we've seen that, and it's good and bad, right? The the, the patients are now insured, and so there's going there's an impact on your Charity dollars and some and bad debt dollars as a result of them being insured. So it's it's not from a provider standpoint. It's it's always good when patients um, are insured. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And I think um, S- Steve, you touched on this a little bit earlier. You said some of the initiatives that Common Spirit is or was working on um, ha- were um, around self-pay and. Um, working on those. You said the pandemic sort of threw a a wrench in some of those. So I kind of wanted to expand on on that a little bit and just how has the COVID-19 pandemic sort of affected expectations about your your revenue cycle department Um, and then just, um, you know, how your rev cycle team is approaching those challenges as well.
2: Yeah, I think I'll start by probably by two things. Obviously, our what we call our service mix or our acuity, well, I'll call our service mix um, has has definitely um, changed since the pandemic, Um, with the canceling of elective surgeries, um, elective procedures. All of those kinds of things have really um, have really impacted um, our 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 revenue. And as a result, you know, kind of the, the domino effect of, you know, some of the metrics like cash goals and things like that um, have been impacted. And so we've we've, I'm not going to lie, we there there have been times where we're scratching our heads, going, okay, now what's going on this month? <laughs> because our numbers are looking very strange compared to our historical numbers. So I, I think that that the 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 change, uh, especially over the summer, where a lot of us had canceled elective procedures um, made us sit back and, and evaluate. Um, of course, also with the, with the, the pandemic came um, kind of a, a, a horrible effects on our economy. And so as a not-for-profit Catholic organization, our, our and I think most organizations, systems, whether they're not-for-profit or, or not, um, took the approach that we have to treat the patients and we'll try to figure out the, the financial part of this either as we go or after the fact. And um, we're grateful to the, the, our payer partners who relieved some of the authorization rules and some of those kinds of things, because I mean, truly there were times when uh, I think we were kind of building the rocket as we were flying it in, in some regards. And so um, it was really, um, I guess a testament to our, our uh, industry in general, how I feel everybody kind of pulled together and said, okay, these are unprecedented times. So we gotta, we gotta help each other. And so, we, so it's very much appreciated uh, from, our, from our system um, how some of the payers stepped up. Um, with that said, I, I would say that, you know, probably one of the biggest impacts that, that the pandemic had on us as I th- think about this is how we addressed our, our self-pay, um, I guess, process. Uh, and, and by that, I mean balance after insurance and our peer self-pay. We know the economy has um, taken taken some lumps and hasn't really completely uh, returned as far as unemployment and things like that as as of today. And so we've looked at our our mission to help serve our our populations in the communities that we serve, and we've relaxed our payment policies. We've relaxed our um, extraordinary collection actions during the time we. We, uh, we, we took some measures to where we weren't impacting um, the patients um, if they didn't have the ability to pay. Um, we did ask them to communicate that with us and to work with us and, and we, we, we um, relaxed a lot of our payment policies. And, and as a result, we saw that in, in our collections of our self-paid dollars, but we, we knew that going in. And um, we also tried to help people understand more than ever our financial assistance policies. So, I, I, I mean, we, we have a saying at Common Spirit Health and, and, and it came over from our dignity brand of, of hello human kindness. And we, we truly tried to practice that as, as the country was going through these unprecedented times. Um, so I, I guess that, that's probably, I don't know if that answered your question necessarily, Ayla, but um, those are some of the things that we really have spent a lot of, of time, a lot of mental capital, on trying to make sure that while we treated our patients and while we were able to keep the doors open, we tried to do that in a compassionate way.
0: Absolutely. So recognizing that this, you know, is is unprecedented and really um, just trying to, like you said, um, you know, come together with your payer partners um, and, and throughout this pandemic, but also then just providing some additional flexibilities to patients, understanding the financial hardships they may right. be going through as well. Um, John I'd love to hear from you about this question is on this question as well just about how the COVID-19 pandemic has sort of um affected or even changed your expectations for your revenue cycle department.
1: Yeah, in addition to the uh observations that Steve Steve made um we, we saw we had to reset some expectations internally as well. And uh HBI actually recently put out a study um, on on the the um, the outcomes that were most impacted as a result of COVID, I think it came out last month, um, and it was interesting to see how that impacted the industry and how uh, how it differs here. Um, denial certainly, what was an area that that was impacted. Interestingly enough, as well as uh, self-pay collections, as Steve highlighted, um, and we had we had internally had some initiatives even pre-COVID focusing on. The optimization of, of our, of our financial assistance policy and, and our charity dollar application to make sure that's getting to the right patients. Um, and, and that had been a focus of the last year and a half, as well as expanding some patient financing solutions to give more flexible options to our patients. And that was very, very timely, um, that we were looking at that because, you know, patients who, who had income flow, um, suddenly, suddenly don't, but they want to meet their, their financial obligations. We just needed to give them some, some additional flexibility there. Um, but we had to have the conversations internally uh, about, you know, we need to reset some, some, of, our, some, some of our performance improvement goals. Um, as well, we saw that uh, your, your AR changed. As, as our services, all of our elective services were canceled, suddenly you have your, your, uh, your AR services staff um, that, that need to be doing work and you need to keep that cash flow coming in and so we shifted to a focus in, in our age receivables, really looking for those opportunities where we could, could, uh, could get that older cash in the door to, to keep the, the, the cash flow in. Because in revenue cycle, of course, as my boss says, the uh, cash is king. And so we, we, we wanted to make sure that we were helping the organization at that time when everybody was banding together. We saw it as our job in the revenue cycle to keep that cash flow going and to care for our patients from a financial perspective um, as that is our goal, of, uh, you know our, our mission is to improve health and we see it as ours to improve their financial health. One of the other things that was interesting is that our telehealth we we had some telehealth services, but we I think were um, uh, hadn't embraced it quite as much uh, as other organizations, but we saw it skyrocket from the month of March to the month of April um, and there were and there were um, internal committees coming together to to get those stood up very fast teams almost working around the clock to get those processes in place from our i.t shop clinical and having to put our revenue cycle functions into that process making sure that you get good registration uh, making sure that you you complete those functions so that uh again you you have that cash flow on the back end um so that that was another uh impact as well And then finally managing of our workforce i talked about about prioritizing work earlier but our workforce shifted to to remote Um, in the course of a a month we had a you know four-story building over here with two full parking lots and suddenly you know we, we had to we had to find a way to continue our services but in a remote setting and um so we put teams together to to move those staff out but then having to uh manage remote workforce um you know monitoring productivity quality we fast track internally th- those programs to to establish um to to leverage those established goals to ensure the staff knew what to focus on and were still being supported appropriately in that r- r- remote setting so uh th- those are some of the experiences again from the pandemic 2020 did not look anything like we thought it would uh, in January or February, um, but I'm really proud of our organization, how we partnered de- our our department here in PFS, as well as the organization, how they reacted and continue to focus on the mission of caring for the patients, improving health, uh, at a time when um, you know a lot, of, a, there was a lot of change.
2: You know, John, I appreciate some of the the things you mentioned, and and while. Wow. 2020 didn't look like anything in the past. I honestly think, as a result of the pandemic, 2021 and going forward isn't going to look the same either. There's, there's, if if we can kind of take glass half full to a certain degree, I think that telehealth and remote remote workforce, as two of the things you mentioned, are um, those changes. Some a lot of those changes are here to stay. Um, I hope at least. I think it's been good for. Our workforce um, to 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 work from home, and and honestly, we have the technology now to monitor productivity, and and I mean, we can go as far as screen time and what they're doing on their screens too, if we have to. Um, but I think it's really a benefit to a lot of the workforce, and you get people who might not have been able to be in the workforce now that they can, and I think that's a really uh, that's a really great thing, and opens up our ability to hire um, top-notch talent. That otherwise maybe weren't able to um, either make the commute or or leave the home, and then telehealth, um, boy, that that's been a great thing. I hope those waivers uh, become permanent because it's been really helpful. I think to our patients who, let's be honest, it's tough for them to come into our medical centers or our clinics sometimes because they're not as ambulatory as they as they would like to be or as anybody would like to be, and and still have that connection with their caregiver it is a fantastic thing. So. There's been some great things that, that have come out of the pandemic, if you really if you really look at it. Although it's been a it's been a horrible year, um, uh, it's really changed. I think our industry.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I, I've said, um, you know, we as you said, the technology has been there, and really, 2020 helped bring us into 2020 um, right. with our technology. And um, but that being said. Now you can hire folks further away. Uh, you don't don't come after my staff. they uh, I got some, <laughs> some good folks right. over here. Um, okay.
0: Yeah, I think what, what both of you are saying, it's, it's what we've heard from a lot of um, hospital and health system executives across the country um, over the past several months is just how, what was originally and still seen as such a challenge, challenges from the pandemic really spurred a lot of, changes that um, they're hoping to keep long term. And regarding telehealth and how quickly so many um, health systems ramped up use of telehealth, I think one thing that keeps getting mentioned is just hoping that the reimbursement stays there so that um, systems can continue to offer these services because, um, you know, the patients have appreciated um, that. And then um, also the the you know, the, getting all the physicians on board and now you have the technology to do it. So um, it'll be interesting to see um, what those numbers look like moving forward as well. And you both touched on sort of like these huge pivots your organizations have made um, over the past year due to the pandemic, whether it's, you know, taking your, you know, entire workforce and shifting them to remote, ramping up telehealth, changes to um, your, your strategy as far as ref cycle goes. So looking forward, what do you see as some of the biggest opportunities for innovation in healthcare RCM? And Steve, I'll start with you for this question.
2: Well, I, I, this, I'm, I'm somewhat tainted with recency bias in this question, to be honest with you. In, in our Dignity Health brand of, of the organization, and really probably across Common Spirit in general. Um, I think that we, for us, our biggest opportunity is to allow patients to um, self-serve a little bit better. Uh, we, you know, that we have access to, our patients have access to their medical record online and things like that. But for the most part, we, we have, I think we're a little bit behind the eight ball in the other self-serve capabilities, like being able to, to um, schedule a service. Um, we can request, you know, make a request for an appointment, but not really go in and slot an appointment. And I know there's going to be a lot of providers that, uh, that are on this this webinar today who, who maybe are in an Epic shop or something that might have that. But for us, I, I feel from a revenue cycle perspective, a lot of self-service is possible. Yeah, we have the text to pay and we have, you know, we have a lot, some, a, a payment portal and things like that. But it's not fully integrated. So it's, you know, we've all got these bolt-on technologies and vendors that help us navigate the revenue cycle, but it's not in what I would call a single digital experience for the patient right now, whether it's scheduling, online registration, those kinds of things, especially in our hospitals. And so that's one initiative that I think that that we'll be taking on in the near future is to try to get that... I mean, we're all used to booking our airlines. Uh, we can go to the store and self-serve a grocery store and not have to talk to a person if we don't want to. Um, we can even book vacations without, you know, calling a travel agent anymore and, and or, or individual hospital and a, and a theme park. And I know that our, our organization, our industry is very complex, but I, from from my, my, my system's perspective, I think we could do a lot more in um, reaching out to the patient and allow them to navigate the process on
0: their own. So putting more control in the patient's hand, letting them schedule and do things on their own. John, what yeah. would you say is the, is the opportunity for innovation here?
1: Well, I'm gonna take it from, a, I, I agree with what Steve said, I'm gonna take it a slightly different direction. Um, uh, thinking about the, um, again, the, the pressures on revenue cycle to become more efficient uh, cost control measures um can uh really building upon some of the efforts in the revenue cycle industry to embrace um process automation really looking at at machine learning finding ways to take your staff who are who are very smart they're they're experts in what they do and putting at the top of their work or prioritizing their work list um one, one of the areas that that we're looking into is for example uh, is around clinical documentation improvement, um, and that actually here is not a function that rolls up to the revenue cycle. As in, as Steve, I'm not sure if CDI rolls up through through your revenue cycle or not. It does. It does. Okay. It
2: does. Yeah.
1: Um, here it doesn't, but it's a very important function that revenue cycle needs to work very closely with, um, because CDI is focused not not only on quality but revenue, and so and those CDI specialists are constantly looking at uh, at chart after chart and putting at the top of their work list reviews that are likely going to yield an improved quality or improved revenue and so that's something that we we're looking at doing because uh, you know we did some assessment we said okay if we had enough to do chart reviews as frequently as we need to and as thoroughly as we need to how many FTEs would, would we need and the number was rather surprising but then we look at leveraging machine learning to prioritize those work lists and um, you can see you can get that same value with a much lower cost. So again, moving, building upon where we've tried to go with process automation, but going to that next step of machine learning, uh, that's one example. Other areas that we want to look in, we touched on it earlier, is reacting to the to the to the to the policy changes of the payers, and uh, e- even getting uh, you know our financial clearance staff to get to that uh, exception-based processing and getting you know, when you're authorizing. Or uh, initiating authorizations or statusing authorizations. Um, that's an area that we're looking up to also. So those are two high, potentially high cost and high value areas that we're looking at leveraging that functionality to try and make more efficient uh, and effective.
2: Yeah, John, that's a, a really good point. On the back end, uh, there are, there is an opportunity to automate a lot of processes. An example um, that we've been working on with our vendor partner is risk scoring accounts. Um, through that that um, artificial intelligence or machine learning, and that we know accounts that probably have a high propensity for denial, or that or uh, that might be um, a, a great candidate for an itemized statement that we need to you know maybe be proactive on. And so there's a lot of um, opportunity I think in that realm, especially on the back end, probably others um, that 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 can help us make that revenue cycle a little bit more efficient.
1: I was looking at, um, to, Steve, I was looking at a report that Change just put out um, in January, and they actually said that RCM uh, is um, more open to um, artificial intelligence in the next three years when they talk to, to leaders in the area than information technology is. So that tells me that there's a real thirst in, in revenue cycle and a real need, a real felt need, that we believe can be delivered on at the same time you know there are some big barriers uh to to integrating it uh seamlessly there there's obviously the uh, the budgetary barriers there, there there there's a security the privacy there's a real i think a lack of trust because a lot of our processes are complex and when i talk to management you know they really want, you know wonder can can this technology really do what 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 my staff does as well as they do and so, working with the vendor partners, and there's a lot of development in this space from mm-hmm. from third-party providers. It's almost like it's almost like every six months, there's something new uh, out there. Someone is doing something different, um, and so that's that's um, the, meeting those those barriers and, and addressing those accuracy concerns uh, to to uh, adopting. And I just read two four days ago, HS or HSS put together uh an artificial intelligence strategy they they established a council on um and one of their main goals is scaling trustworthy artificial intelligence adoption so even hhs even our government is seeing this trend um and and is wanting to make sure that it's adopted but in a trustworthy way Um, so i think the next three to five years we're going to see a real explosion in this area and and the question is how do we do it in a way that delivers high quality service to to our patients in the end. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And there's a lot to to keep our eyes on. Um, a lot of innovation happening. A lot moving forward. Like like you said, John, um, seeing that that announcement from HHS, I think it's really um, shows just where um, not only the federal government but individual systems and third parties they all have their their eye on moving forward with this. So it's just how do we how do you do it in the right way? So a lot of exciting developments there to keep an eye on. We have just um, a few minutes left in our conversation today. So I want to ask before we wrap up if John or Steve, um, do you have one final piece of advice or a final thought you'd like to share with our attendees today before we um, end our session? And Steve, I'll, I'll turn the floor over to you.
2: Oh, wow, that's kind of, that's a a loaded question. I suppose, um, really, I I think that, I hate to overuse a statement that we've heard uh, a lot in the last eight months, but truly in the revenue cycle, um, I appreciate the fact that we we are kind of all in this fight together. um, And I appreciate when we can reach out to revenue cycle colleagues across the country um, and ask how they're tackling a certain problem I do think that probably one of the, the, the biggest issues, issues not, not, might, not, might not be the right word, but uh, that we are going to have to face in the coming years is, is that growing consumerism. Um, I think that we need to design our financial counseling and clearance process around that. I appreciate what John said earlier that now that we have price transparency, um, what do we do with that now? You know we've got this on our website. Patients can go out there and look at it. and most likely uh, payers are as well. And, and I think that that probably needs to be considered in our in our contract negotiations and things. But how are we going to represent our health system and the service that, that we, services that we provide to our patients um, in a clear manner? Uh, we have partnered with a payer in California. Um, and a, a third party startup company to help, uh, to potentially um, help the patient understand all of their bills together. Uh, a single statement for all of, their, all of their providers, whether it's my hospital or not my hospital, my affiliated providers or not. Um, everything funnels through the insurance company. And so we've partnered with the insurance company Blue Shield of California to present a single statement to the patient and a single payment plan. To the patient, um, I think things like that are going to help um, ease the burden on our patients and and maybe the misunderstanding on our patients. Um, so we have to look to to partner with our with our with our payers as well.
0: Absolutely, thank you so much, Steve and John. Any final advice or final thought you'd like to share with our attendees today?
1: Yeah, I'd like to piggyback on what Steve said with uh, tighter alignment with our partners, uh, with payers also tighter alignment with, uh, clinical operations, um, you know, building on the thing that we've kind of had here about around estimates is now that we have those technical tools in place, how do we integrate it into the patient experience and, and thinking, how can we even integrate that in with clinical operations, you know, EPIC, uh, and their estimator tool is beginning to have those, those have an ability to provide an estimate at the time of ordering when the physician is sitting with the payer. And that is revolutionary, and it's a question of is that really a conversation that we want the patient, and the provider to be having? But even the fact that 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 we're asking the question is just showing that there is a is a is a change. Again, the, the, the impact of consumerism and and the impact that that has on the patient's experience, and who and when is that appropriate? Um, as well, uh, a tighter alignment with clinical operations um, as we're reacting to those to those policy changes, uh, authorization and medical necessity, you know, my, 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 boss, uh, you know, says that medical necessity isn't about issuing AVNs, it's about preventing them, right? So if you have those conversations at the right time, you don't ever need to issue it because you already, there's already a clear expectation. Um, and we've worked hard in the last couple of years to closer align with clinical operations so that what, what, what whether it's from, you know, appeals to to, um, -to peer-to-peers that it's not a surprise we've uh, implemented uh, provider um, uh, advisors, uh, physician advisors, as well with the revenue cycle, trying to create that integration. So, you know, whether it's integrating with our payers or whether it's integrating with clinical operations, the revenue cycle now more than ever is not a back-end process. It truly is part of the patient experience.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, John. And that is all the time that we have today for our session. But once again, I want to thank John, Steve for joining us today, taking time out of their incredibly busy schedules to share their insights with all of us. And to all of our attendees, thank you for joining us. And please let us know if you have any feedback or any questions. And we hope you'll join us for future Becker's events. Thank you.